Thank you so much. Good morning. Just wave at me if you've had a great summer. Wave at me if you had a not good summer. We'll pray for you at the end. <laughs> um, really warm welcome to you, particularly if you're a visitor here. Thank you so much for coming to join our family this morning. Really, really good to have you here. And uh, we've, we've had a great summer as a family, the Wilfie household. It's been a lot of fun, uh, both in Bedford and beyond. We went to Florida for our summer holiday, uh, which was kind of exotic and exciting. And uh, did all sorts of exciting kind of things. Among them was eating some of possibly the best steak ever known to man. Now, I think men will probably appreciate this more than women. Now, that may be a generalization, but when you eat a really good steak, it is actually a spiritual experience. <laughs> Just wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. Oh. Women, I'm sorry, there were lots of female hands in the room there. So we had large steaks bigger than the size of my face, which was just fantastic. Um, And also, we got our first ever upgrade on a flight. You just know Jesus loves you, don't you, when you get an upgrade on a flight. It does just prove it. Um, We got our first ever upgrade from economy to premium economy. Let me tell you, there is a world of difference between economy and premium economy. I'm not sure I can ever fly the old way again. And there is, I know this is wrong, but there is just something that makes you feel like a more important and better person when you're traveling in premium economy. And there's that beautiful moment where they pull the curtain across, (laughs) dividing you from everybody else. And they bring you a glass of champagne and you just think, I am pretty special. That's why I'm here. So it was, a, it was a beautiful spiritual experience. So we, uh, we had a really happy summer. Don't judge me. You'd think the same. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I better pray, I think, and then we'll get into uh, what we're going to get into. Father, we just thank you for your presence here. We love you so much, and we're so grateful that we get to gather in a free country like this to receive and worship you. We Love you, Father, and we thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from your hand in our life. Thank you for all the friendships in our lives. Thank you for our homes. Thank you for our families. Father, thank you for our our workplaces. Thank you for the sense of promise that we live with. Thank you, Father, that you've saved us into a kingdom of hope. Thank you for that powerful word. Thank you that the hope that we have does not disappoint us because you've poured out the love of God in our hearts. And Father, we ask you right now as we come to your word, let your word do us good. We come to your word with expectancy that your word is going to penetrate our hearts and change us on the inside out. Father, we thank you that your word is, it's not just information, it's not just a book. This is the living word of Almighty God given to us for our instruction. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, take the words of the Bible and use them like a sledgehammer in our lives this morning in a way that we are never the same again. We give you permission, Holy Spirit, to rock up, show up, and do us good. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, I want to start with this um, statement, and it's this, that every generation has a responsibility to ask this question, what are you doing, God, and how can I do that with you? Each generation in history, Christian generation, has had that responsibility to ask him that question, because Jesus said this, my father is always working. He is always at work. The father is always working. He's always about his business. The key question is then, 
what are you working at, Father, and how can I join you? Because actually, when you signed up to follow Christ, you didn't sign up for him to join your agenda. You signed up to join his agenda. You signed up to follow, to say, where you're going, that's where I'm going. And each generation has this responsibility. What are you working on, Father, and how can I work on that with you? So what is God doing? That's the question that we're going to look at this morning and next week. And I believe that one of the things that God's doing in our generation is that he's taking us beyond a restoration mindset into a mindset of reformation. He's taking us beyond restoration and into reformation. And that's what I want to talk to us a little bit about this morning. Now, I've got 17 pages of notes, which means that you're going to be done before I am. So I'm just going to carry on next week. You turn up next week, I'll still be talking. So it's going to be seamless. So... I was just remembering this morning as I was just praying and reading, uh, my life as a, a young kid, I grew up uh, in a Baptist church, very traditional Baptist church. I was born in Sheffield and then kind of raised on the south coast. And I remember my dad was the, the Baptist minister. And I would sit in my mum and dad's bed when I was very little, and I remember my dad going through the Baptist hymnal and choosing the hymns. And I would sometimes kind of make a suggestion of my favorite hymn. And uh, that was kind of the environment I grew up in, a very, very traditional Baptist church. And I remember my own father going on this journey in his life where he began to almost read the pages of the New Testament through a new lens. And he began to read about what the early church was like, where the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit was so evident that lame people walked and blind people saw and there were miracles and the poor were fed and the kingdom was coming. And he read these stories about the early church where it wasn't just one person doing all the work, but everybody got involved. We're a family, we're a community, where apostles and prophets are shaping the church, where there's a plurality of leadership. And what he was catching was God's heart for the restoration of the church. Now, I hope that you still have a passion for the restoration of the church. Do you know that God has not finished on his church? God loves his church. The church is God's agent for kingdom transformation in the world. He loves his church. And it was around that time that whole new church movements began to get birthed. Movements like New Frontiers or The Vineyard or Salt and Light or Pioneer. These church movements that had a passion for, let's restore the church so it looks like the church in the Bible. How about we do that? And I remember my own father going through that journey and wrestling with God, will you restore again your church to a biblical pattern? But what I want to suggest to you today is this, is that while God is still passionate about the restoration of the church, he is restoring the church for a bigger purpose. And it's this, the reformation of society. I thought you'd be much more excited about that. He is restoring you because he has a plan for the cosmos. He has a plan for the planet in which you live. It's a plan to reform things so that they begin to look like his kingdom. You know, through the years, often we've substituted the genuine gospel for a false gospel. A false gospel, or at least a, a minimalistic gospel, is say this sinner's prayer and God will give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. He'll beam you up from this nasty planet so that you can be with him forever. Let me tell you, that is not the gospel. It's a part of the gospel. But the good news that Jesus preached was this. Christ has come and his kingdom has come with him. He has come to transform society. 
He's come to change the way culture operates so that everybody, whether they believe yet in Christ or not, feels the benefit of the wisdom and the extravagant love of God and a value system that is completely different. And this nation is founded on that. And that's why after many of the big moves of God in this nation, like the Methodist revival, what followed in the decades after the Methodist revival where thousands got swept into the kingdom and believed in Christ, what happened after that was the reformation of the nation. That's why God raised up men like Wilberforce and Shaftesbury to actually change and shape the way the nation was. God is taking us beyond restoration and into reformation. Jesus didn't actually talk a whole lot about dying and going to heaven. But he talked a lot about heaven coming down to earth. And that's your mandate. Heaven to earth. Because God cares about the nation in which you live. Do you know, I remember when I used to walk to school in Brighton, I would walk past the biggest abortion clinic in this nation. In fact, the biggest abortion clinic in the whole of Europe. Do you know that last year there were there was a spike in abortions in this nation, 185,000 abortions in this nation last year alone. Do you know, God cares about that stuff. I've sat with girls in hospitals of their agonizing over a decision whether to have an abortion or keep their child. Let me tell you, God cares about that stuff. He cares about our nation. God cares about the fatherlessness in our nation. Do you know that more teenagers own a smartphone than have a father in their household? Do you know that 80% of prisoners had no father in their house growing up? God cares about fatherless in this nation. He cares about this stuff. God cares about the, the rampant epidemic of despair and anxiety and fear that is crippling so many. Do you know between 2005 and 2012, there was a 54% increase in the amount of teenagers who were prescribed antidepressants for chronic anxiety and fear. God cares about this stuff. He cares about the reformation of our nation. And I could go on and on and on. I could talk about greed. I could talk about sexual exploitation. I could talk about the education. I could talk about many, many different things that God cares about because the gospel is good news for the whole cosmos. Do you know God cares more about that than just your Bible study? God bless your Bible study. But do you know why you study your Bible? It's because God is about reformation. God is about that. That's what he is doing in the nation. This is the new wine that he is pouring out from heaven. And you know, when Jesus talked about new wine, he said, listen, when God is pouring out new wine, you'd better find a new wineskin for the new wine to be poured into. This is what he says in Mark 2, verse 22. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And in Jesus' day, a wineskin basically was a flexible leather bag. That's what a wineskin was. And when you put new wine into a container, you wanted a new wineskin, because the leather was still supple and flexible and could stretch so when the wine was fermenting and bubbling and those catalytic kind of processes were going on, the wineskin could stretch to the new wine that was inside it. But you put new wine into an old wineskin and the new wine will pop out of that wineskin. You'll lose both the wine and the wineskin. 
Jesus is saying, listen, when the Father is pouring out new wine, you better ask the question, how can we do what the Father is doing? How can we build a wineskin that fits the new wine that he is doing in our generation? Because the old models don't work anymore. We've got to ask that question. How can we create structures, processes, priorities, value systems that fit what the Father is doing? If he is about reformation, what does a reformation wineskin look like? What does it look like? And every generation of believers has had to ask that question. An example of that was in the 18th century with a man called John Wesley and George Whitfield, and they were the, the foremost preachers in the Methodist revival, a great awakening that happened in this nation. And one of the things that happened in that season is that they got this revelation that God is interested in people who don't go to church. What a revelation. And their revelation was, if they're not coming into a church building, we'd better go outside of the church building to where they are. That was their revelation. But that just wasn't done in those days. That wasn't their wineskin. Their wineskin, if you want to meet God, you come into the building. And so George Whitfield began to preach on the streets and in the fields and gather thousands of people who are hungry and desperate to hear God. The the farm laborers, the coal miners, the the irreligious, the ones that wouldn't ever set foot in a church. He began to preach where they were. And John Wesley, who was very different than George Whitfield, he was a very prim and proper man. He was well-dressed, he was smart, he was well-educated, he did everything by the book, he was an ordained Anglican minister, he, he wanted to do things the way they were meant to be done, but he began to get this conviction about new wine. How do I build a new wine skin for the new wine that God's pouring out? And this is what he wrote in his journal, Saturday the 31st. In the evening, I reached Bristol and met Mr. Whitfield there. I could scarcely reconcile myself at first to his strange way of preaching on the fields, of which he sent me an example on Sunday. I had been all my life, until very lately, so tenacious of every point relating to decency and order that I should have thought the saving of souls almost a sin if it had not been done in a church building. And then he writes, Monday the 2nd, at four in the afternoon, I submitted to be more vile and proclaimed for the first time in the highways the glad tidings of salvation, speaking from a little mound adjoining to the city to about 3,000 people. New wine needs a new wineskin. So what I want to suggest to you are some of the transitions that God is making in the wineskin, in our value systems, our priorities, that means that we can build something for what God is doing. Here's my first point. Here's the first transition. is that God is moving us from servitude to sonship. He's moving us from servitude to sonship. Reformation in society starts by you understanding the reformation that has already taken place in here. Because free people, free people. You notice that? How are you going to free other people? By understanding the freedom that has been bought for you by Christ, that is given to you for free. By grace alone. Reformation starts by understanding that because you always export the reality that you're most aware of. Jesus said this about serving. He said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. 
Notice there, when Jesus is talking about serving, he connects it with sonship. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what happens is if you serve outside of your understanding of sonship, even your service can become servitude. Servitude is trying to get by performance what God has already given you for free. Let me say that again. Servitude is where you try and get by performance what God has already given you for free. Great example of that is right at the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, God made them, male and female, he created them. God made them in his own image. How did God make man and woman? In his own image so that they would be like him. What's fascinating is that when Satan enters the story and he entices Adam and Eve to eat the fruit, what does he say to them? Eat the fruit and you will be like God. The tragedy was they were already like God. And suddenly they substituted what God had given them for free and started to perform and work through deception. You divorce your serving from sonship, it can easily end up in servitude. But there is a better way. <laughs> there is a better way. And this matters to reformation because you cannot reform other things unless you first understand what's happened in here. I am a free son. And if you don't get those issues sorted out, being out there will eat you up. And those amazing God opportunities that come your way, you'll turn into instead opportunities for you to feel valued rather than going in as a powerful person and understanding I'm already valued because of who I am. I remember once going into a, a meeting fairly young in the things of the prophetic and I was invited in to go and prophesy and I walked into the room and there were lots of incredibly impressive people looking back at me. A lot of quite impressive leaders, people that I really wanted to impress. I wanted them to think well of me. And I, I remember just getting so under the fear of man in that setting that my sense of servitude trumped my sonship. And I remember in that meeting making up a prophetic word so that they would be impressed. But what I remember is as I was giving that word to them, they looked incredibly impressed. But inside, I was dying. Because I knew that I'd substituted something. It's Bill Johnson who says, if you don't live for the praise of men, you won't die by their criticisms either. And if you and I are going to be serious about joining the Father in his work of reformation, you've got to sort out your performance issues. If your only sense of value comes from when you perform well and other people smile and say, that was awesome, you're amazing. And then you're going to hit your ceiling pretty quickly. There's a better way, understanding who we now are. Here are just three truths about your sonship, your adoption into God's family. Firstly, now that you're a son, you are fully accepted in Christ and you are no longer rejected. Just imagine if you lived like that. Imagine if you lived like that. I am no longer rejected. I am fully accepted by Christ. Now, I'm not making this up. This is in the book. Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you. Wow. 
You are fully accepted. Yeah, but I'm not doing very well. Doesn't matter. You are fully accepted. Yeah, but I've got a really messy past. Doesn't matter. God fully accepts you. Yeah, but I don't think I'm very intelligent and I'm not very clever. Doesn't matter. God fully accepts you just as you are. You are fully, fully accepted. Well, I'm not, not sure about all this Reformation business. You know, I just, you know, I'm just kind of trying to get by. I'm just trying to survive. You're fully accepted by the Father. He has put his seal of approval on you. Ephesians 1 says, In love he predestined you to be adopted as his child in accordance with his pleasure and grace. You're fully accepted. But not just that. Also now you are fully affirmed by the Father, which means that God not only loves you, he likes you. He actually likes you. In fact, Scripture says you are called his beloved. You are the beloved of God. You're the apple of his eye. You are his particular treasure in the earth. He took great pleasure in planning your life. He affirms you. He says, yes, to you. He says, you're mine. And I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. I'm not ashamed to call you my sister. You are mine. You are joined to me. Forever. Not performance-related pay. Forever. By grace. Just because God is good. Fully affirmed by God. Zephaniah says that God rejoices over you with extravagant dancing and singing. When he looks at you, he smiles. I say, well, when I look at myself, I don't smile. That's because you don't see your life through heaven's eyes. I wish you could see yourself through his eyes. <laughs> also, now that you're a son and a daughter, you have full access to God. You have full access to God. Ephesians 2 verse 18 says, For through him you have access to the Father by the same Spirit. You have access to the Father by the same Spirit, which means that you are no longer powerless, you are no longer excluded, you are no longer marginalized, you are no longer a victim. You have access to the Father 24-7 for the rest of your life, and one day you'll be in eternity forever in perfect glory. You have access to the Father by one Spirit. You know, I love going home to my dad's house. I moved out a long time ago. But because I'm a wealthy boy, I still have fridge rights. <laughs> How many of you love fridge rights? You go home to your parents' house, and you don't have to ask. You just open up the fridge. You have a look. You see what's in there. You take the best meat and make the best sandwiches. You drink the best drinks because you're, you're a son in your father's house. And that's the most natural thing to do. You understand your access. You know, the other day I was just in the coffee shop. My son came up to me and said, Dad, have you got any money? I'd love to buy a drink. I'm like, sure, here you are. That is the most natural thing in the world. You have the access to the Father. The question is, are you using it? Are you using your access? Or are you trying to do through human performance what God is offering you through relationship with him? We so often try to do things through managerial effort rather than relational dependency. That was an excellent point. It just came to me as I was talking. <laughs> we do, though, don't we? You know, ever notice that, that when God does something in your life, so often we try and sustain that thing through managerial effort rather than continuing through relational dependency. Guess what? How you started is how you're meant to continue. 
You got into the kingdom through a violent act of grace, breaking into your life. That's how you're meant to continue. Continue in grace. Continue in grace. You have access to the Father. You have heavenly fridge rights. (laughs) Heavenly fridge rights. What a glorious thought. What a glorious thought. That means that where do you get your solutions? They're found in Him. Where do you get your answers? They're found in Him. Where do you find your breakthrough? In Him. Where does your hope come from? It comes from Him. Where does your need for strength come from? It comes from Him. Where does your need for, for, for peace about the future come from? It comes from Him. It comes from Him through your access to the Father by one Spirit. You're no longer orphans. Stop thinking like orphans. Because God's agenda is the reformation of society through people who understand the reformation of the heart that's already taken place. Secondly, time is really going quickly, more quickly than usual this morning. Here's the second transition that God's interested in in this season is moving from human effort to God dependence. I don't know if you've had a look recently at what needs to be done in the world and then looked at your own resource and thought, I need help. I need some serious help here. And God is moving us into this transition point where we understand that the reformation of culture, yes, it's going to take some great leadership. Yes, it's going to take some human wisdom. Yes, it's going to take some great structures and priorities and ways of doing things. All of that is really important. But if that is what we trust in, then we've missed it. Because the wineskin exists for the wine and not the other way around. That's why the best wineskin makers are those who regularly taste the wine so they remember what they're building for. Here's the question. How regularly are you drinking of the things of the Spirit? (laughs) Of the things of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. How regularly are you drinking? Because yes, building things and creating stuff is really important, but not if you lose touch with the source, which is God. I long for more of you in my life, and I cannot do this without your spirit, without your help, without your friendship in my life. I cannot do any of this if I'm disconnected from you. Jesus said, abide in me, and I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. I tell you, if we could live by that simple instruction, our lives would be radically changed. Abide in me, which means what? Wait on God. Seek his face. Worship him. Be in a place of receiving and just being and knowing. Don't always be do, do, do. Go, go, go. Let's, let's, let's. Do. Father, I'm seeking your face. I need more of you. I receive what you said I could have. I long for more of you in my life. I long for your glory. God, I long for your glory. I long for you to come and do what I cannot do in my strength. God, will you come? I wonder how thirsty you are today for things of the Spirit. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me. Drink. 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 And I truly believe that God is inviting us this year as a church back into a place of encounter, back into the place of drinking, back into the place of receiving what God alone can give us. And I was so provoked this summer, I was listening to a lady called Heidi Baker speak at a conference, and uh, I could just feel myself slowly 
getting cooked on the inside <laughs> as I was listening to her. And Heidi is, a, is a, an American lady, a missionary to Mozambique. She's got a PhD in theology. And she has planted over 8,000 churches in Mozambique in the last decade or so. And in fact, she, currently she plants one new church every single week, which is quite intimidating, really. <laughs> and uh, she says, we just show up to a, an unreached village, and we put on the Jesus movie. We call out for the blind and for the deaf to come. We heal them, and then we introduce the village to Jesus, and we plant a church. And we've done that 8,000 times. <laughs> but, you know, it was more than just hearing the stories of breakthrough that got me. It was her raw hunger for Jesus. And she said, if you want oil to carry to people, there's only one way to get oil, and that's in the secret place. It's in the place where you're walking with Jesus, where you're saying, Lord, I long for you. I long to have more of you to give away to other people. God, this world desperately needs you. Can I have some more oil? Can I have some more, Father? Not from a wrong place of desperation, but from a saintly expectation and longing. God, please, can I have more of you? And she told this story. She said, now in these two villages in Mozambique, these two tribes, she said 100% of the blind people that we pray for get healed in these two tribes. She said, me and my 20 adopted children, we've all got the same gifting. We can pray for blind people, and they all get healed in these two tribes. So she said, everyone that's got white, diseased eyes gets brown eyes after we pray for them. But she said, it wasn't always like that. She said, I once went to a conference, and she said at the conference, there was a man preaching, and he said, I have got an anointing from God to pray for blind people to see. And she said to herself, I want what that man has got, and I'm going to wait until I get it, because blind people in Mozambique need to see. And so she said, I, I waited at the end of the meeting as he was coming down the line praying for people. And I, I just kept saying to myself, God, I want what you said I could have. Open blind eyes. Open blind eyes. And she said, he came to me in the line. She says, I don't know whether I fell over in the Holy Spirit or whether he pushed me. She says, but I don't care because I was so hungry to get what he said I could have. And she said, I lay on the carpet for I don't know how long. She said, I realized I was the last one left in the building when the caretaker who was hoovering the building started hoovering around my body. And she said, at that point, they picked up my body and threw me into the back of a car, took me to the place where I was staying, threw me on the bed, and all the time I was just saying, Jesus, give me what you said I could have. Open blind eyes. I'm not leaving until I get what you said I could have. And she said, I lay there all night. I totally lost track of time just praying, God, give me what you said I could have. And she says, sometime in the middle of the night, suddenly the Holy Spirit landed on her like electricity, threw her off the bed. She lay on the floor under the glory of God. She said, God, give me, give me what you said I could have. And then she said, still no idea what time it was. I heard a knock at the door. Uh, she said, I crawled over <laughs> to, the, to the doorway, opened the door, and I was staring at two pairs of cowboy boots. And she said, I looked up, and she said, there were these two guys, and they were two prophets that God had spoken to in the middle of the night in two different states in America. And God had woken them up and said, there is a lady called Heidi Baker. She is staying at this address. I want you to go now and tell her she has what she's been asking for. 
And she said, from that moment, every blind eye in these two tribes opens. Here's the, here's the provoking thing. We are so easily pleased. But the way that you get oil is to seek in his face. It's by being with him. God works through relational dependence. That's how he works. And there is so much more that God wants to do in our nation. And one of the first things that we can do is say, Father, please, will you pour out your spirit? I'm no longer going to trust just in managerial effort. I'm going to trust on you. I'm going to abide in you. Because only you can do what my heart is truly longing for. I wonder whether you'll join me this year and live that way. I tell you, it's costly. You're going to have to change some priorities. It's not always very comfortable. But you know, comfort is not God's highest ideal. Yeah. I don't know if you've discovered that yet. God is much more interested in your life being meaningful than it being comfortable. So these are some of the transitions that are happening as God gets us ready for his reformation mandate in the nation. And we are going to carry on talking about this next week. You're welcome. <laughs>